447. Page 447. The Lily of the Valley. The lily of the valley, after just trying to describe who Jesus is, we may not be able to do that, but we're sure going to try. Sing it out with all your heart. Number 52 begins, I have found a friend in Jesus, and he's everything to me. Sing that all together now. I have found a friend in Jesus, he's everything to me. morning and, and uh, we'll continue in the second part of the message we had last week. And so I've been asked to title the messages or give us all at least a heads up on what it is we're going to be thinking about. I know what I think I'm thinking about. But uh, we started last week with um, the passage of Second uh, Peter 3 where, where Peter asked a question. And by the way, it's the Holy Spirit asking the question. Because of the things that are happening and the, the way the events are going to come in this world, because we see them clearly coming and because the Bible predicts them accurately, because we can know for certainty that these things will come to happen just the way the Bible says they will come to happen, it's not some mysterious thing that's going to take people by surprise who understand and care about the Scriptures. That's right. But he says, because you're my family, I love you. I tell you these things. I hide nothing from my children. And Peter says, because... And seeing that, these things shall be. What manner of persons ought we to be? What, what kind of people ought we to be? And that word manner is the same as kind. And if you look in the book of Genesis and the creation of, of uh, all things, it said he made everything in his kind. He made animals in their kind and fishes in their kind and trees in their kind and everything after a kind. And... That tells us this, that once you're a Christian, you ought to be of a certain kind. There's a kind of people, the Lord says, are mine. They're my children. What kind, what manner, what 
group of, in what group should we be identified as Christians? Now we've been in the Revelation, and this is a step outside of that for a week or two, and I know that's true, but we were in the sixth chapter where the, the six seals were opened, of the seven. Six of the seven seals were opened, the first four were the horses who came, and the white horse, and I believe, I believe from the white horse the other ones come out. The Lord said, there shall be many types of Antichrist. Well, the first one is on the white horse with a bow and no arrows. That is the Antichrist. He will say, peace and safety, peace and safety. And then abruptly say, no, you worship me or die. At three and a half years into the Great Tribulation, the seven-year period. Exactly at three and a half years, he calls it out and says, no, no more. And he breaks truce with Israel. And with the world, he says, you worship me in my image or you die. And then we have those souls beheaded under the altar, the fifth seal, saying, how long, Lord, how long will you not avenge our blood? And you know it's tribulation saints because he said of those upon the earth. They're still upon the earth at the time. He said, they're still doing it. Why don't you stop them from doing it? And the Lord said, there's more to come in. There's more tribulation saints to be martyred. The sixth seal is opened in all what the world says, all hell breaks loose, it's the truth. The stars from heaven fall from the earth, everything is cataclysmic, the events are tremendous. And the question at the last of the sixth of Revelation, the last sentence of that is this, for the great day of wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? Now the, question, the questions of the Bible are, are many, and they shouldn't escape us as to what the answers are. Now, when you get to the seventh chapter, it's amazing that uh, so many people read the book of Revelation, they think it's chronological, they get lost in the, in the reading. Chapter 7 is a parenthetical. It's added information for us, his children. It's added information that isn't particularly chronological, but it's information that we should know. And it talks about the 144,000 sealed from the tribes of Israel. And there are different tribes. And it's interesting, we'll get to that, but there's different tribes for a reason. But I think that's the answer to the question. Of this great day of wrath, the Lamb has come. Who shall be able to stand? The 144,000 sealed by the Lord. These evangelists, probably three times the amount of, of missionaries and evangelists in the world today, the Lord's going to unleash. And they're going to be preachers, I'll tell you. Amen, brother. They're going to be some preachers. There's going to be a lot of people saved from their preaching. These Jewish from the tribes of Israel who find the Messiah and understand the truth of the matter. And the Lord seals them. And all the lies and deception that's been blinding them through the years after Moses came down from the mountain, all of those lies and deception are gone and they see clear now who this Christ is. And now they're going to be able to preach it in technicolor. They have a background that knows. Oh, when you put the truth with a history, it's a big, it's a big deal. When you put the actual truth with a history, it's a big deal. That's why we did. That's why we have this tradition. That's why, oh, we were told something else. I love it when people come that have been brought up in different traditions and different backgrounds and they hear the gospel and their eyes light up. <laughs> oh, that's what that verse means? I, that's not what I've been told. Mm -hmm. And so I believe the question to the answer who, will be able, who shall be able to stand is found in the seventh chapter in the fourth verse it says them which were sealed a hundred and forty four thousand they'll be able not only to stand they're going to preach the gospel and so the question we have this morning we continue with this now if you'll remember with me last week and this is a quick review to bring us to speed we have the third of three points this morning the first one is what manner of person ought you to be we looked at second corinthians in chapter four 2 Corinthians and chapter 4, and I am reminding you of this. Therefore, seeing that we have this ministry, chapter 4 and verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, uh, seeing that we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. What manner of persons ought we to be in Christ for a lost world? 
not a sniveling coward that thinks the world's taking over and we're so afraid. And what if this happens? And what if that? It's going to happen. What if it does? Bring it on. Amen, brother. Let it happen. Amen. Let's see the power of the Lord for those who are standing. Praise God. Stand in the power of His might. Stand in the power of His might. There may be a day when we can't move forward. When the forces are so strong against us, there's no moving forward right now, but He said, stand up. You stand in the power of His might. Don't you stand there thinking you got it going. You stand there and say, Lord, let's go. The battle is the Lord's. Let's see it happen. I'm 100% persuaded this will happen. 100% persuaded as the ugliness of the world breaks forth. The strength and the power of God is going to overcome it. Praise God. It's going to be a wonderful day. It's going to be a beautiful day. And like everything else, the, the bull, the Goliath screams and the, and the beasts are wild and all of those things. But that's just a scare tactic for those who know they've been defeated. It's coming, folks. What kind of people are we to be in this world? Oh. <laughs> uh, but we have renounced the hidden things of this honesty, not walking in craftiness, nor having the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Live right out before the world and what it means to be a Christian. You're going to be laughed at. You believe that? I do. You believe that, really? I do. I'm laughed at on a regular uh, basis. I'm laughed at a lot for what I believe. Because I, I, because I live and I work in a university town where there's smart people everywhere. <laughs> I just love that. You really believe that? And I say, well, my option is to believe you. What would you do here? No, no, don't get like that with me. I say, I'm asking you an honest question. I can believe the Word of God or I can believe you and me. Who am I going to believe? And people really believe they're smarter than God because they believe there is no God. They believe the Bible is written by a bunch of people and it doesn't mean anything unless you make it mean something out of your own mind. They say this is a scare tactic. They say this is just a bunch of words that make people straighten up and act, act right. Well, it's not working very well, is it? Even the Christians aren't straightened up acting right, but we believe it. Interesting thing, but we have to live in this life honestly. Praise God. Honestly. You remember this now? The hidden things of dishonesty. I spoke of it last week. I remind you again, it's a big deal, folks. We're to have no secret immoralities. No secret immoralities. That little thing that you have hidden away in the darkness of your heart that only you know about. There are some men, and there are some women today in the church, and there's not a few that are doing things and coveting things and being part of things in the secrets of their minds and in their secret times that are blocking every part of a ministry they could possibly have. I told you last week, I tell you again, they come to me and they say, I would love to have a ministry, I just never works for me. And I ask them the question, I learned this a long time ago, you have a secret lust, a secret passion, a secret place that you go that you think no one knows about. Yeah. Listen, if your mother was not the best mother, if your father failed you, if somebody in the family or outside the family did something to you as a child, let the Lord heal that and move on. Guys, when Caitlin was in school, she was in school in social welfare, is that right? Yeah, I thought that was right. One of you was. I thought it was you. Yeah. It wasn't the boys, I'll tell you. They went up there three times and always to the basketball arena. I said to her one Sunday after church, I had two women come in that week and counsel with me, and I said to my daughter, she's graduating in social welfare, and I said, honey, I think it. I didn't call it, I don't talk like that. I said, hey, I think... I think 75% of the women out there have been uh, handled wrong in their youth by somebody. I said, uh, 95. 
95%, baby. 95% of the girls around me, the women around me, someone said did something so indiscreet that it changed their lives. Oh, it may have been dad. It happens. It may have been somebody else. It may have been that guy, that dad, dad's best friend. We call him uncle. He's, he's always here. 95%. Am I alive? It, it's real, yeah. Can I tell you something? If you have a secret thing that you go to in your mind and you some perversion of some sort that you have not pushed out by the power of the Spirit, you will act on it. As a man thinketh, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So is he. I move on from this. I want you to know that's the problem that ministries won't get off the ground and Bible studies fizzle out and, and work for the Lord just doesn't ever seem to take. I'll tell you why. It's these hidden immoralities. And if you ever heard or want to hear, you can look it up. Read the confession of Ted Bundy with James Dobson sometime. James Dobson recorded the confession of Ted Bundy before he was put to the electric chair. And he said, one day when I was a boy, there was, we ran up an alley on Saturday morning. He, had, he said, don't blame my parents. It was leaving to Beaver home. We had a perfect home. It was. And he said, I ran up the alley with my friends on a Saturday morning. Somebody, a man up three doors, threw out some magazines. And he said, we grabbed those magazines and took them into the garage, and we hid them in my dad's tools, and we'd get them out from time to time and look at those things. He said, that led to this and led to this and led to this, to where he would murder young girls and then do things to them after they died. The progression of sin. Because can I tell you, with sin, it's never enough. It always has to be a little more. With sin, it's never enough. It has to be a little more all the time. That's right. Sin and Mexican food. We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. If you want to be a liar, I'll tell you what. Here's what God gave to people, particularly women. He gave to particularly women this sense of, of danger, the sense of something's not right here. Something's not right. And so many of those men, and is that right, women? So they say, this guy's creepy. Oh, he's, yeah, I don't know. What's, what's wrong? I don't know. But I'm, not, I'm done. He's creepy. God gave women, particularly, because they're, they're the weaker vessel, he gave them an understanding and a discernment that men don't have. Oh, I think he's an idiot. He's all right. We're going to go out. And, he's not, he's okay. No, he's not okay. Men, listen to your wives. If she says he's not okay, he's not okay. And we move on. How shall we be? What manner of person shall we be? We shall be honest people. Number two, we looked at chapter four of Hebrews. Chapter four of Hebrews, and we found this to be true. We shall be a people who rest in Christ. Chapter four of Hebrews and verse one, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left to us of entering into his rest, and any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. We all sit here this morning and hear the same gospel. But this is a case where, and I believe it's Paul, it doesn't matter, the writer of the, of, is the Holy Spirit, this is a case where we see the clear divisions of us and them. Unto us was the gospel preached. Us, those who accepted it and believed it and acted on it as well as unto them. Who are they? But the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. This chapter goes on to describe this. We move on, but this chapter goes on to describe this. In verse 4 it says, and, and he spake, God spake in a certain place on the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest on the seventh day from all of his works. And in this place again, if ye shall enter into my rest. Here's one of the greatest secrets I discovered as a younger Christian of living the Christian life with peace. Praise God. This is the greatest, one of the greatest lessons. You know what the peace is? God did all of his works and he rested from his works. He called me to join in now and rest in his works. He said it's finished. 
It's finished. You know who gets tired in the, in the, in the work of the church? You know who wears out and just becomes exhausted in the work of the church? People doing work that's not their work to do. By the way, so, sometimes ago, uh, Sundays ago, we were talking about gifts in here, and people want to know, well, what, how do I know my gift? How do I know my gift? How do I know my gift? Is there a thing, and there is this thing, if you recognize it, there's this thing that you can do without even hardly thinking about that you actually find pleasure in doing, and you have a hard time understanding why everybody else can't do it. That's a gift from God. There's a thing, at least one thing, there's probably more, but there's a thing that you can do that even is pleasurable to do, other people find to be hard work and irritable and irritating. But there's a thing that you can do that it even brings you pleasure to do it. You're happy to do it. You're happy doing it. You're happy in the labor. And you can't understand very well why everybody can't just do it. Because God gave you that gift. I get to meet a lot of families through uh, good and bad circumstances, but I say to every family as I prepare to bury someone from their family, it's a terrible time. It's harsh. But I say, is there anyone in the family who'd like to speak? Most, by a large percentage, say, no, I don't want to, I don't, no. I don't, I don't speak publicly, I can't do it, and this is even harder, and it is a very difficult time. There was a time when I wouldn't, get up in front of people and talk. If you paid me all the money in the world, I wouldn't do it. When I was in high school, I'd get up to give a book report and couldn't remember my name. You ever felt like that? You get up there, and I'd have to throw this in every time. If I'd read the book, it'd have been much easier. But I think that I would get up in front of a group and just stand there. As a senior in high school, I got up. My best friend was two feet in front of me. I looked at him. I forgot who I was and just sat down. I thought my ears were going to explode off my head. The teacher said, you know, that's a zero, and it counts double. I just come from math. That's not zero. Double zero is still nothing plus nothing or times nothing. I said, I don't care. I couldn't do it. But then one day the Lord called me and said, would you talk for me? Would you tell them for me? Will you get up and tell them for me? And I thought, oh, boy, I can't do that. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to walk out of here in a few minutes, and I can't wait till next Sunday morning when we come back here. Praise God. I can't wait to open the scriptures with some of you listening, and we share the word of God together. I can't wait. I just can't wait. And so while I can't wait, when I'm home not can't wait, and I just read some more about it and look it up and say, I can't, this is what I can't wait to tell them this week. This is such good stuff. The Lord said, I rest from my works. Now, son, you come, and you rest in my works. Calm down. I mean calm down. It's not all about you. He said, how hard is it to point to me? I did the work It's finished. Point to me. You don't have to do the work It's already done. I should go to work. I should pay for my home and raise my family. That's not hard. That's enjoyable when you know the Lord's behind you. But he said this. I have created and I have completed. You enjoy it. You rest in my work. That's where many Christians fall down. The third point, we move on to this. Now, the same question. What manner of persons ought we to be? I'll tell you in advance what we're going to look at. We should be worthy people. Remember Revelation, he said, A few in Sardis shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. How do we get worthy before God? And the second point is we should walk with a heart of transparency. If you remember in the third of Revelation, the, the church of Sardis, as the Lord was given the great card there, it says this, that a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. I was talking to a preacher friend of mine from western Kansas a while back, west of here, west of here, and he was talking about this, and I said, how do you preach the garments? It seems to rile people up. And he said, oh yeah, doesn't it? Well, I'm clothed, when I got saved, I am clothed with a robe of righteousness. 
And the Lord said, there are going to be a few that have not defiled their garments. You go back to Zechariah in chapter 4 and 5, and you find that Joshua stood before the Lord in filthy garments. And Satan was accusing him. And the Lord said, you just watch your mouth. That's my son. I'm going to clean him up. He'll be clean. He will be clean. But Joshua, the high priest, was standing there clothed, it says, in filthy garments. And the Lord said, now this is a wild statement for people who don't believe it. A few shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now how do we get worthy before the Lord? You remember as we studied in the book of Revelation the last few weeks, and there was a throne in heaven, and it said the one on the throne was God the Father, and he held in his hand, in his right hand, a book that was sealed with seven seals. I believe it to be the last will and testament of God, shut up from the annals of time. And when the seals were broken, when the wills to be read, and there's no one found worthy to open the seals, and John started to cry. And the angel said, John, don't cry. Weep not, John, for there is one found worthy. He's the lamb. He's the lion from the tribe of Judah. He's the lamb of God. He's a lamb. He's a lion. Which is he? He's both. He came the first time as a lamb. And he allowed them to put him on the cross. He's coming back as a lion. He's going to slay the wicked who refuse him. He opened the book. He opened the seals. And every time he opened the seals, something tremendous happened on earth. I mean, it set in a brand new course down here on earth. And that will happen just exactly as he said. You see in verse 10 of chapter 4 of Hebrews, it says, For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, even as God did. He that entered into the rest ceased from his own works. <laughs> I had a friend call me the other day and said, I heard you talking about going your own way. Can you tell me more about that? And I got to tell you, I don't know what you did with him, but he's fine to study. Delightful, he says. Delightful. So there. He likes me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. By the word... The word worthy there in, in the third of, of Revelation, a few shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I looked that up, because I like looking those things up. What does it mean to be worthy? It means to be this, do reward. Is it time together for you Sunday after Sunday or not? To walk with undefiled garments is due reward. And I have a pretty good reason for saying that, because Christ said it. I have a pretty good reason for this mockingbird operation we call the ministry. You repeat the same thing all the time so you'll get the gist of it and we can make you believe it. This is the Word of God. He said, a few shall walk with me in white because they've not defiled their garments. Not defiling their garments means they live the life of what? Honesty. These are the people who had no hidden immoralities. These are the people who allowed God to examine their heart and said, God, if there be a wicked way in me, show me, so I can do what? Push it out. I don't want to stand before you defiled. Is that your heart this morning? The Bible says God wants to come into you and me, and he wants to bring his flashlight in our heart and look at all the corners. Any little dark hidden secrets you got, you little nasty, you nasty, you little nasty. And the Lord says you stand there in public with this, Amen. Amen. I love, oh, I love Jesus. I love the Bible. I love church. I love the Word. I love to praise His name. Look at that nasty thing you got in there. Why are you harboring that? Well, when I was young, I, uh, yeah, I know it. When my neighbor came over, which I know, when my dad was away, my mother, uh, I've heard some of these stories, folks. The Lord says, Here's what you're not going to believe. That's going to stop everything. That stops it all. That's why God says, I want you to love me with a pure heart, with a whole heart. That's why God says, I want your heart to be pure. I want your heart to be whole toward me. 
You can't love me with half a heart. You can't love me with a dirty heart. You can't be living outside of my commandments and say, all but this corner is clean, so do I get a high five or not? No, I'm not going to praise you for being nasty. Not going to happen. No, you can't harbor that thing, whatever it is. You can't knowingly sin against me and live in that sin. You can't sit in your quiet time in the annals of your little sick mind. You can't be all glad and go to a place where you can imagine all kinds of evil things and be good with me. The Lord says, no, not, no, no. He said, every, every uh, woman that sees you is going to run from you and just find you as nasty. Every man is going to just listen to you and shake his head and walk away. You can't do it. These men have come to me one after another and said, that's the way they're treated in this world. I can't make a ministry go. Pastors, some. Teachers, some. Just ordinary Christian men who want to have a ministry. Now look, if you'll turn with me to First Chronicles in chapter 28. Way toward the front. First Chronicles 28. This is David preparing for Saul to take the kingdom. I'm sorry, Solomon. Thank you, Zach. Now, and this is one verse, and we'll move on. This is David, a man after God's heart, the king of Israel, preparing for his son to take the throne. And he says, And thou, Solomon, my son, Know thou the God of thy father. Serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understanding and all the imaginations of the thoughts. And if thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. What manner of persons ought we to be? David told Solomon, he said, Now my son, listen to me. This is an old king. This is a king about the time, I think, that wrote the 23rd Psalm. Old king that had been through a lot of battles. He's fought a lot of the Lord's business. He started out as a stripling boy and killed a giant. And he held his head up for all the enemy to see and said, This is you, if you defy the name of the living God. He said, We are here in his stead. We trust him. We believe him. And he gives us the power. We'll take you down in a heartbeat. We'll take your head from you. That's what real Christians believe about the world and about Satan. Satan's already defeated, folks. Satan is already defeated, but he's just out there doing scare tactics now that so many people believe. Listen, Solomon, my son. Do you think a man that has a son would have an invested interest in telling him the truth? Do you think if that son was about to be the leader, the king of Israel, and David knew what he knew about the battles and about the Lord? And he said, oh, son, listen to me. Oh, my son, know thou the God of thy father. He didn't say no of him. He said know him. This life is a, for a Christian is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Praise God. We're not here to learn about Jesus, not so much. We're here to learn Jesus. We're not here to learn about him so much as learn him. He didn't say go to church. He said come to me. If you come to him, you'll find a fellowship. That's right. If you come to him, you'll, you, you, you'll want to listen to some words from the Lord. You'll want to hear some sermons. could be on the radio, praise music, worship, hymns. You'll love that. Your spirit just says, yes, I need that. It's... It's, it's, it's like the food I put in my body for my flesh, for my spirit. I'm so hungry for those things. And he says, Know thou the Lord. Serve. Serve him with a perfect heart. Uh-oh. Servant. You know how many Americans have told me they will not hear that word serve, servant, slave? The book of Isaiah, in particular, is written in such a way that the Lord, every letter is capitalized. Look it up. The book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. The Lord gave him such a message, and it's divided, it's divided in two parts. And it's such a division that most of the, several of the scholars have 
have threatened us was that it was written by two different people. It was not. It was Isaiah. And Isaiah wrote it in such a way that he talked about the Lord, L-O-R-D, all capitalized, which meant, which meant uh, master, which meant owner. And uh, he started his book with it, reading the first three verses. He said, the ox knows his crib, the donkey knows where his stall is, but Israel doesn't know where he's supposed to live. He doesn't live as he should. He said animals know more about who they are than Israel does. They will not follow me. And then he asked the question, who asked you to come to church? Who asked you to come to sanctuary this morning? Why are your feet in this building? It's a tremendous start to a book. And Isaiah won the, not the Nobel Peace Prize, he won the, oh yeah, stuff him in a log and cut him in half with a saw award. That's what, that's what he got from writing that book. Isaiah taught it so well and believed it so much and they hated him so bad for it. They stuffed him according to, it says in Hebrews, by the way, that he was sawn asunder. It says not, it doesn't say Isaiah, but it said this is what happened to a lot of them. They wandered in, in goat skins in caves. And, but he said the world was not worthy of these people in God's, in God's estimation. The world wasn't even worthy of these people and yet they, they slaughtered them, they hated them and they killed them some terrible ways. They burned them with fire. They tortured them. And it says they were sawn asunder. Josephus is the one who tells us that Isaiah was stuck in a hollow log and sawn in two. But God could have made him not feel that. He could have allowed it all. I don't know. But I know this. Isaiah went there. Don't you know Isaiah would say right now, I'll do it again. I'll do that again. If this is a reward for following Christ and being faithful to him, I'll do that again. The world and Satan can think of some ugly ways to torture Christians. It's satanic. Here's what Paul said. It's recorded in Acts chapter 13 and beginning in verse 21. But Paul is going through the history of Israel in his ministry there. And he says this, and I want you to hear it with me. Acts 13, 21, it says, Afterward they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. How would you like to have a bad person in office for 40 years? Oh, yeah, we have. Um, mm, I forgot about that. Isn't it a long time when you want the Lord to move right now? And he said... I'm moving. Hang on. And so I gave him, I want you to know that it says, God gave unto them Saul for 40 years. And when he had removed him, that's just a little sentence. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart which shall fulfill all of my will. We have the 51st Psalm when David laments a whole year outside of fellowship with God after he sinned with Bathsheba. He was outside fellowship with God for a full year. And yet God says he fulfilled all of my will. We have a couple more and we're done. Here's what Deuteronomy 8.2 says. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God lead thee for these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what is in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep the commandments or no. What was the wilderness about? And you read that very carefully now. God said, I, I put you out there so I could know. But what does it really mean? So that we would know. What are the tests for? So we'll know how we react. Proverbs 17 and 3 says this, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth the hearts. We close this morning with Psalm 139. Four verses from Psalm 139. 
<clears throat> first verse of Psalm 139. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. It says in verse 3, Thou art acquainted with all of my ways. Not a word in my tongue, but thou knowest altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it's too high, I can't attain unto it. And David goes on to describe God, and even his birth and how he was formed before his birth. But here's what I want you to get as we close this morning. I want you to get this. The first verse said, Thou, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Past tense, you've done it. You've searched me and you know me. And we drop all the way down to the 23rd verse. And it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in a way everlasting. Lead me in the way everlasting. David starts with, you've already searched me, you've known me, and David invites him back to do this. Search me. Take your flashlight and go in my heart and shine it to the corners. He says, there be any wicked way in me, Lord. Teach me and lead me in the way everlasting. Verse 17 says, How precious also are thy thoughts. Isn't that something? David says in verse 2, You've known my thoughts. You know my thoughts. He says in verse 23, I want you to change my thoughts. But he says in 17, Your thoughts are precious. What do we want as Christians? What kind of people? What matter? What kind of people are we to be? The people who want God's perspective of our life. We're talking about prayer. We talk about prayer and you look in the books and you find in the books and it's interesting what men and women write about these things, but this is called the examination prayer. There's a Latin name for it, I can't tell you, but it's called the examination prayer. And here's the difference in Christians who are blessed in this world and who do things for the Lord that are effective. Here's the, here's the difference. It didn't pray, it didn't Prayer that goes this way all the time. Lord, give me. Lord, give me. Lord, give me. Lord, help me. Lord, save. It isn't that prayer all the time. It's a lot of this prayer. Lord, examine me. That's the, that's the honest examination. Lord, you examine me and tell me where I'm wrong, where I need to change. That's the difference in the examination prayer. Oh, Lord, my kids are crazy. This is wrong. That's wrong with what they're doing to me. I need more money, Lord. How are we going to do this? I need food. I need, Lord, I need, I need, I need. And, and Lord, here's those things. But David teaches us through the Psalms in particular that Lord delights to hear people say, Lord, look at me. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? Why was Paul such a great man? Why did Paul do so much for Lord? When he met him, when he understood, he said, Lord, who art thou? Greatest question of mankind. Who are you, Lord? And after he told him who he was, he said, What will you have me to do? What will you have me to do? Is that? I'm telling you, I told the first hour, I'll tell this second hour. When I was young, I started preaching. I thought, How am I going to be effective in a church where so many people have been in church for a long time? How am I going to preach the Bible to people who have sat in the pew for a long time? What do I have to offer? What can I offer to a people who have been Christians for a long time and they've surely heard all of these stories before? Well, then I found my group. I found who I'm effective with. It's new Christians. It's new Christians. And it's hungry old Christians. And they're very few. Most Christians, in my experience, have been this. They reach a plateau. There's a day in a church, there's a time in a church, there's a year, there's a season they come to where they just decide, I'm doing this for the rest of this is what I'm going to do. Come and hear sermons, go and do things, whatever, but they, re they believe this. I'm I've reached what I'm going to do. When I tell them you need to give it all to the Lord and the people will stand up and say, Lord, they'll sing, I surrender all. Lie and write to the Lord. 
I am not letting you run my business now, Lord. No. And I was on my knees in a little house out here in the country, and I was on my knees one afternoon, and I was praying to the Lord, what do I have to sell these people? And I had about three pieces of furniture, but they were huge, so they filled the house up. I had three pieces of furniture, one of the big old oak desks they used to have in schools and ugly old thing, but it was mine. And you pulled the tray out of the side, it had a spring on it. I always had to get down there and look at it when I was there, and I'm surprised I still have bottom teeth. That thing was spring-loaded. And I kept my Bible on that, and I'd pull it out in the morning, the Bible would come up to me, and I'd open it up and start reading the Word of God. And one day we did some things, and I took a hymnal home with me. Before the sun was up, I had a cup of hot tea, and I was asking the Lord, How do I, what do I say to these people? What do I say to these people? And I grabbed a hymnal out, and I laid it on my desk to get it out of the way, so I'd get my Bible out, and it fell open to this. I love to tell the story. Ooh. And the verse caught my eye was the one that said, To them who know it best. Them who know it best seeing hunger, they seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. If you're in love with the Lord, you can't hear the word too much. Amen, brother. That's right. You know what hearing the truth of the word does to an old Christian who loves the Lord? It gives a big old amen right down her soul. They say, that's so right. That is so right. One of these days, he's going to come back and prove it to us. That is so right. That gives peace to my soul, not in a hope so, not in a what if. It's just I know that's right. My soul knows that's right. If we love him, if we love him, unbelievable what he's going to give to us. How do you know that? Paul said. You can't even imagine. You've never seen anything like it. You've never heard about anything. And you can't even imagine. I don't care who you are. You can't imagine what it's going to be you're going to see when the Lord says, enter into your rest. You can't imagine that. Isn't that something? I love you. I know all about you. I built this for you. Jesus, you built that for me. I built that for you. I know what you like. It makes our little house down here seem like a kind of a a frivolous thing and a, a bunch of empty toil, doesn't it? The Lord one day is going to give us a home and say, I built that for you. You think you'll walk in there and go, oh, man. I wish you was a little nicer. We're going to say this. Wow. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's up to us. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this hour and ask that you would bless it and bring it to our minds and still it in our soul. We know you have these words recorded for a reason and that's our understanding, our edification. And we know this morning that the more we know about you, the better we love you. And now we just ask that you would just drive these thoughts, these words that we should understand deep into us, deep into our spirits, Lord. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us know you're going to come back. Help us to know that evil will not prevail. We thank you for it. Bless everyone here today in their travels, coming and going. The Lord bless us mostly with your presence. We pray especially week after week now for the young. Guard them from this world. We pray this morning for Dick's niece, low heart rate. We pray for all the unspokens in the church. We ask you to take Chuck and Cindy home safely. Heal them up. Give them a refreshing time. Let them enjoy the days, the days before. 
and give them joy as children. Bless each family. Anne was not here this morning with a sore throat, Lord, heave her up. Be with them, give them joy. For those who are not able to be here, those who are not with us this morning, Lord, be with them. Help them to feel your presence in a very, very real way. Thank you now for Jesus. May we do that which you've called us to do with joy. In Jesus' name.